this podcast from Happier Me, Richard Gerber, the keynote speaker, educator, and thinker, speaks to Dr. Manoj Krishna about the origins of Happier Me, the key ideas behind the project, and how each person can live a happier and more fulfilled life. Welcome. Great. Well, hello, Manoj. And, you know, we're going to spend a little bit of time today. And like all great conversations, I'm not entirely sure where this is going to go, but I know where we're going to start. Um, I I want to really start, you know, so much of Happier Me is about an internal toolbox. That's what it strikes me as, right? It's, it's It's not external tools. It's But imagine you've got a box full of drills and bits and screwdrivers and hammers. Well, this is kind of the mental equivalent of that to to actually build yourself better, stronger. Um, and, And with that in mind, what I want to ask you to start with um, is, is an origin, right? Because it's one of those things I've always wondered about you. Where did, where did the original concept come? What, when you started thinking about Happier Me and the iterations it's taken to get to where we got to, was there a eureka moment in your own life that made you realize how important the self-awareness that lies at the heart of Happier Me, um, how important that was, not just to your life, but potentially to everybody's life? Yes. Well, good question. So like everyone, I was in a relationship many, many years ago with conflict in the relationship. And I always assumed it was the other person who was at fault. See, And the other person assumed I was at fault. And that carried on. And then when I suddenly had this eureka moment, realizing actually the conflict lies in me, that I am the architect of my own unhappiness or my own happiness. And it's the automatic and unconscious way our minds are reacting to each other. Did that, sorry to interrupt, did that come to you unaided, so to speak, or were there books or people or conversations or anything you had to help you par that out? Because I think in some ways that's an incredibly, you know, emotion and particularly emotion when you're dealing with conflict is such um, a challenging thing for human beings to come to terms with, right? So one of the things, because happier me wasn't there for you, right? And, and so you can we can begin to see how that evolved. Yes. But was there a catalyst or so, or anything you had that you can look back on and say that helped me to that personal realization? Yeah, so I've been reading. I mean, of course, all the information's out there. There are many, many great teachers which have who've gone before us, as you know. People who have delved into the mind, you know, Carl Jung, Krishnamurti, and the Zen masters and the Sufi saints and the Vedanta and, and so on. But, you know, you read all that stuff. It doesn't really solve any problem you have. Your problem only begins to get solved when you have curiosity. Why? What's going on? I'm an intelligent guy being well-educated. I'm in the middle of conflict, and I'm not able to get myself out of it. What's going on? And that's when you realize, ah. So, for example, I'll give you a very simple example. Uh, again, a eureka moment. So 
when I was living at home, my mom did all the cooking. When I got married, I expected my wife to do all the cooking, right? <laughs> you can imagine that created conflict, you know. But if you challenged me, I'd say I'm right and you're wrong. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and arguments would result. It's only when I start questioning my own thinking and saying, mm -hmm. why? What's going on? Then I realize ah, I'm conditioned, but I'm not aware I'm conditioned. And yet I'm attached to my conditioning. See? See, it's, I mean, I want, I'll take you back, actually. There's a word you use there that I think is really, really interesting. Uh, and it's a, a word that I think is so powerful. Um, and that's curiosity, right? Your curiosity. Because, and I, I, I just want to push you a little bit on this, right? It takes great courage, I think, particularly as adults, to be curious. Yes. Um, because... We were talking before we started recording, you know, so much of the conflict in the world is people taking entrenched positions and then defending that position with ever really, without ever really listening or being able to set their ego aside enough to say, well, hold on, maybe I need to understand where your position is on this and why you're reacting the way you are and why, why this conflict is occurring between us um and it's interesting because i suppose you know and for those people that don't know your background at one time you know for a lot of your professional life you were a surgeon and it strikes me that surgeons have to be coldly objective because you can't get overly emotional particularly in the moment of a crisis or if an operation starts to go wrong the last thing you can do yes. is get emotional and so maybe in your own character, you had that quality in those moments of high pressure, those high emotional stakes, yes. to switch back to somewhere and apply logic. Um, and it just fascinates me, that point about, was there a moment in the conflicting, and I don't want to get too deeply personal about this, what... What was the catalyst for that moment where you and your partner at the time were going, hold on, and particularly in your head, I need to be curious about why she's feeling that way. And what is that? Why? What about my behavior and character? What was, you know? Because, you know, what happens is the cycle of conflict repeats itself. It happens once, twice. And, you know, anyone who's in conflict will see that. So when it's happening for the third, fourth, and fifth time, the same cycle, any intelligent, right-thinking person, I don't mean intelligent as in clever, but just as a human being who's curious, asks, what's going on? There's a pattern here that no one's aware of. Let's unpick it. Let's go deeper. And you know the beauty of that, Richard, is just as when I realized I was conditioned and that was shaping my thinking, I realized she was conditioned and that was shaping her thinking without her awareness. And she was attached to that too, you see? So from that understanding comes compassion. And from That's... compassion comes the healing of all conflict. That's the beauty of this understanding. I think that's... I think that's... A really interesting thought and and I want to take that a bit further now because this thing about self-awareness going back to something I just said I think is is really challenging and interesting right because 
what we're dealing with, and it, this is all of us, I'm not, this isn't an accusatory point at all, right? We are all, we're all kind of sick where we're talking about self-awareness, about conflict, about challenge. We're all kind of somewhere on the spectrum of not overly healthy. Some may be a little bit more healthy than others, but we're all kind of on the, the wrong side of the... Yeah. When us are 100%, you know, our, our fitness apps would be beeping at us saying you need to go and see somebody. Um, and the really interesting thing for me is, in a way, the first stage to healing, which again is self-awareness, is knowing you're sick. Yes, yes. I think... The most important and the hardest thing I had to do, and anyone has to do, is not to be aware that you're sick. Everyone knows I'm unhappy, I'm in conflict, I'm in, you know, whatever's going on, you kind of know you're not at peace with yourself and others. And you know that you're blaming everyone else for what, what that is. The hardest thing is to take ownership of how you're feeling. The hardest thing is to say, I'm not going to blame anybody else. Mm. I'm not going to blame myself either. I'm just mm. going to be curious because this is happening in my mind. I need to figure out what's going on. Why? Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting. The journey of learning then opens a door to this amazing ocean of wisdom, knowledge, intelligence, whatever you call it, you know? It's interesting. I often say to people, look, if you're going to get into a debate and debate is healthy, you need to be able, you need to be prepared to challenge your own thinking before you challenge the thinking of others. And if you're genuinely interested in debate, evolution and development, and I, and you know, I used to say this a lot to both educators and students when I taught, you have to be prepared to be wrong. You have to be prepared to allow yourself to change your mind, to change your opinion, to change your view. And, and one of the really interesting things for me, sadly, and again, we were talking about this before we, we started recording, in the current climate in certain parts of the world right now, people aren't prepared to challenge their own position, their own thinking. And, and maybe... Perversely, you know, I, I think happier me is the good side of digital technology because there's a bad side, right? And we've all seen it. And in many ways, that bad side of digital technology, in particular through things like social media, have amplified the the you know, the, the the silo mentality, that idea that actually I am simply surrounding myself in an echo chamber yes. of people that, that validate that I'm right and you're wrong. Yes. I'm a climate denier or whatever it might be, you know. And that's I a really, exactly. And that's a really, I mean, let, let's talk about that for a minute, right? Because we're recording this at the time that COP, the big climate conference, the 28th edition of COP, is coming to an end in the UAE. And, you know, whenever something like this around climate comes up, right, you've got on the one hand, you've got all these scientists around the world coming together going, we're reaching the absolute zero hour unless we change course now, unless we change our behaviours, unless we change the way we think and behave, 
um, we're, we're reaching the tipping point where it will no longer be possible to save the planet from real disaster, right, environmentally. And then the problem is, of course, you get the people on the other side going, despite the data, the science, the expertise, who will come up with alternative data, alternative expertise, alternative science, saying the whole thing's a hoax. It's all a conspiracy theory. It's not real. Don't worry about it. You know, when you look at climate, there's always ebbs and flows. It's just paranoia. I mean, I'd really love to ask you, if you were to sit down we're at COP. If you were invited to COP, Manoj, and you were in one of the outlier events, right, how would you begin the conversation? Because one of the things that's always fascinated me is how do you persuade other people who are so ingrained in their beliefs yes. to start to think about their beliefs? Yes. It's a tough one, Richard. I think the answer lies not in directly challenging whatever they believe in. But in beginning the question saying, where do you think your ideas come from? Mm. Why do you, you weren't born with this view. Right? So to introduce the idea of condition. And once you realize, you realize, not someone tells you, you realize, ah, I have been conditioned without my awareness or my permission. And that mm. has shaped my thinking my behavior, my beliefs, all of that. And yet I'm attached to that. So it's like a thief comes into your house at night, doesn't steal anything, but puts his or her thoughts in your head. When you mm -hmm. wake up, you think they're my thoughts and you want to fight other people who think differently. That's conditioning. Once you see that clearly, then we can perhaps begin to come together as human beings and saying, We've got a real issue here. Even if you don't believe in climate change, you certainly want to leave enough oil and minerals and iron, whatever, for the next generation. And for you've got children and for their children. So even if you don't reduce consumption for climate change, you definitely need to do that, to leave something for generations to come. You see, But also on this journey, you learn about your own conditioning, but you also learn the mind is wired to operate from self-interest. Mm. So mm. I'm going to operate from my tribe. You're going to operate from your tribe, whatever country you belong to or who you represent, corporation you represent. If I don't see that in my own mind, then I'm just going to act from that place. And we will have lots of hot air, no action. See, mm. Mm. Or if you understand the nature of pleasure, we've talked about this before, mm. how the mind is wired to look on the outside for something to make it feel good on the inside. And that thing on the outside in the modern world is consumption, whether it's buying things or experiences. But you and I know that the moment you get what you're looking for, the pleasure fades and you need something more. So we're on this cycle of ever this hamster wheel of consumption and not even aware that's what we're doing. Whereas the real problem is this lack of peace in ourselves, see? And again, we can resolve that through taking this inner journey. And if you live in peace with yourself, then you can have a chance of living in peace with somebody else in a relationship. Many people who are unhappy in relationships are actually unhappy with themselves. Mm -hmm. you know? 
So there's so many benefits of just taking the first step and beginning this inner journey of learning about yourself and how your mind works. Not only so that you can be at peace with yourself and others, but together we can then address some of the biggest challenges the world faces. Because the origin of climate change is in human thinking, right? If it wasn't for humans, we wouldn't have the problem, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's answer really- lies in here too. The answer yeah. to all human suffering lies in understanding our own mind. I think, I mean, I, I, you know, there's so much that really strikes me about what you've, you've just, you've just talked about. And I think the thing for me is this thing about taking the first step. And then once you've taken the first step, sometimes it's about having a galvanizing quality or voice, um, a mentor, a shadow, a happier me, right? That becomes the way you can sustain it. You know, it strikes me twice in the last couple of decades for me, I've had real moments of hope out of darkness and neither have really catalyzed or materialized. So the first was after the global financial crisis in 2007 and 2008. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I started seeing, particularly in a corporate environment, people taking a step back and going, hold on, we need to question this, mm -hmm. this consumerism, you know, this greed, this, uh, you know, that kind of 80s-esque greed is good kind of, of thing. And people started, I think, for a while questioning humanity purpose meaning of life meaning of their of professional life of personal life of material wealth people started to look for something deeper and more profound but then what i think is really interesting and sad is that when the milk and honey of commercialism started to flow again people forgot quite quickly right then more recently um, and I know I'm only talking for a very small percentage of lucky people during the pandemic, right? People, because they couldn't go to the shop and buy stuff, they couldn't go on expensive holidays, they couldn't buy expensive cars or do expensive stuff or eat in expensive restaurants or, you know, they couldn't do any of that stuff. Suddenly, nature became extremely important to people. An awareness, for example, of the birds. The number of people I heard say, I've heard more birds than I've ever heard before. And I think partly that was true because the planes weren't flying, but partly it wasn't that there were more birds, it's just they'd never stopped to listen to the birds, right? And now they were listening to the birds. Yes. Um, and I thought to myself, my goodness me, you know, if we ever come out of this pandemic, if we ever find a way, and thank God for science, we did, right? That we could go back to a semblance of normality. I had a great hope that it was a reset moment for humanity, almost a kind of biblical Noah's flood moment, right? Noah's art moment for humanity. And the thing that strikes me is I wonder, it's a, and it's a big question, Manoch, for most of us, is self-awareness fleeting unless we have a spirit on our shoulder that keeps reminding us of the importance of it? I think it's a very good question. You know, um, Aldous Huxley once said that human beings would rather suffer than understand themselves. So the understanding yourself feels scary to a lot of people 
because it's unfamiliar. You see, what's unfamiliar creates fear. But of course, you're just learning about yourself. You know, your own, you're just trying to be your own best friend, that sort of thing. So the first thing is not to have fear. The second thing is we all suffer to varying degrees. Whether you call it stress or anxiety or relationship conflict or addiction, doesn't matter. Begin with that. Begin with curiosity about your own suffering. And there are only three steps to this journey of learning about yourself. The first is to be aware that you're suffering. Simple. I'm stressed, I'm angry, whatever. The second, as I said, is a hard one, which is to take ownership. My anger comes from inside me. My stress reaction comes from inside me. See? And the third is to ask a question. What's going on in my own mind to make me feel this way? And it's if you can find an answer to your suffering through self-awareness, then you're energized. You think, oh my goodness. Then you're away. Then there's no stopping you because you realize the answer to all of life's suffering and to many of the problems in our lives and in the world lies on this in this self-awareness, this inner journey. See, and it's unbelievably beautiful. Mm. But I mean, it's all our energy is focused on the outside right now. How can I get more and more on the outside to feel better inside? But that I mean, that it doesn't happen. It's an interesting thought and really powerful insight because, again, you know, it strikes me that we're now living in a world where because of global events, partly because of events closer to home for many, many people around the world. Um, and, and you know, you you talked before and I'd, I'd like you to pick up on the statistic, you know, the, the three the three financial figures that you mentioned to me before we came on air is really potent and powerful, I think, because. We're living in a, a world where I think for all kinds of reasons, people feel increasingly out of control of their own lives. Yes. And the perception is, I think, it's always somebody else's problem to solve. Yes. It's always somebody. The reason I'm in the predicament I'm in is because I, I have to find someone to blame. Um I, I, you know, I, it, it's someone else's responsibility. And again, I, I linked to that, and it's a bit of a, a clumsy question, I guess, going back to what you were talking about, and, and please share with everybody this thing about real poverty, right, globally. And maybe I'm wrong, but in my travels, the interesting thing for me is often the happiest people I've ever met, and I mean spiritually the happiest people I've ever met, are the people who often have the least yes. um, materially. Because they're almost stripped of any of that falsehood, any of the, the material stuff that we all have been convinced are the, you know, the drugs to, to make us feel better. And because they're stripped of those things, they're left with a deeper sense of spirituality, of community, of purpose, of sharedness, of appreciation of the world in which they do inhabit, of nature, of, of you know, the basest emotions of, of self-preservation. And I, I wonder if that's something that you've noticed too and, and that something equates with your work and thinking. See, I don't want to glamorize poverty. 
property. No, 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 no. Absolutely. And I'll just give you three numbers. $2.15 is the poverty line under which 15% of the world's population lives, World Bank. $3.65, 26% of the world lives under that. That's per day. And $6.85 a day, which equates to what? $200 a month. 46% of the world's population lives below that. So life is really hard. But what I want to try and share with people is that no matter how hard life is on the outside, if you live live with this deeper self-understanding on the inside, you live with a sense of peace. And your mind can then cope directly with the challenges it faces and is much more capable of addressing them. As you know, so suppose a situation is causing me stress. Already 60% of my brain's capacity is reduced. And this understanding says, "Ah, I'm going to be at peace inside. I'm going to have 100% of my brain available to deal with whatever challenge is in front of me. That's one. But secondly, to realize that no amount of stuff on the outside is going to make me feel at peace on the inside. And that's what I really want. When you ask every human being, what do they want from their life? The number one thing is they want to be happy. Mm -hmm. And when they use that word happiness, what they really mean is they want to live without suffering and with a sense of peace. Mm -hmm. And our mind assumes it comes from the outside, from wealth and fame and recognition and all of that stuff. But it only comes from our own inner journey. And you only have to look at the lives of the really wealthy to see all the dysfunction that exists. And I think I've forgotten the name of the actor. It was a Jim Carrey said, I want everyone to be famous and rich so they realize it's not the answer. (laughs) You know, or something like that. I think it's not to say that that's not important. Of course, have your, you know, all of that. But first, live with peace inside. But also, it isn't the answer, is it? I mean, those are like the cherry on the icing on the cake for some people, right? But actually, the truth is, as you alluded to, people often go in pursuit of those things thinking they will bring happiness and contentment. And they don't. Um, you know, I've I've interviewed, I've been very lucky in my career to interview a number of incredibly successful, famous people, right? And the one thing I wrote about it in one of my books, the one thing that I came to the conclusion about was actually be careful what you wish for, because the perversion of what it takes to be successful in traditional Western society will actually almost kill you in the end because in order to, yeah yeah because exact because in order to be but in order to be that successful you have to actually have a dissatisfied spirit the flame that fires that is a constant dissatisfaction you know so i made a hollywood movie and then I, I won an oscar but now i need to win another oscar right because otherwise i've only validated myself once or i bought myself a mansion in malibu but actually now i need a bigger mansion because the person i was in competition with in the music industry who sold more albums than me 
blah 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 and then you get to the point of kind of some of these billionaires right and then the issue for them almost returns back to a deeper sense of spirituality because then it's no longer about money or wealth or power often too late they start to think to themselves but what impact have i had for good on society yeah. right and then they start to devote time philanthropically into and so it's interesting my point is I think that relentless pursuit of believing a bigger car, a bigger house, a bank account that means I don't need to worry month by month is lovely, but it won't slake your thirst for contentment. No, that's the key. And you see, the trick the, trick the mind plays is it does make you feel good for two minutes. Mm. You see, the new house, the new car, the new woman, the new husband, whatever, you feel great for two minutes. And then you feel empty again. And then you need to chase something, you see. And you mentioned the word spirituality more than once, Richard. Mm -hmm. and you know, from the beginning of time, not only can this journey of self-awareness or learning about yourself, and the beauty is you're not learning about yourself according to a book or according to Manoj or Richard. It's as you are, as a human being. But then the more we travel inwards, we realize actually... I'm the same as every other human being. My heart works in the same way as yours does. So does our mind and so on. But this inner journey also leads to a deep sense of spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. You see. So then your fear of death recedes, for example. Because most people are afraid of dying. You know? Then you realize, oh, I'm just a another particle of dust in the universe and when I go I'll be part of that universe you know I'm already part of it and I'll continue to be part of it in a way so it really allows us to live a life with peace and joy and beauty and goodness and compassion and free of suffering and there's so much avoidable suffering in the world mm -hmm. and this and so what we're trying to do with happier me is just give you the tools to begin your own journey of learning about yourself. And, and so that understanding to every aspect of your life. Sorry to jump in because that's, I mean, you've brought me to a point where I want to, if you like, conclude this conversation. And I hope people have enjoyed it and will jump on more conversations with us as time goes by. But I want to come to this as we come to a conclusive part phase of this conversation, which is around happier me right now i want because in a way what you've done i think so eloquently and so wisely is you have created for us a very powerful context in which happier me sits and what i want to know now is a little bit about how if i was coming to happier me for the first time so let's say i'm going through conflict in my life let's use your example right i'm going through um a relationship breakdown um i'm doing all the things often people do under stress and duress right i've suddenly started drinking too much whiskey i'm you know um i'm trying to escape from the reality by avoidance and all that stuff a friend says to me happier me just download it right when i download that onto my phone what do I do? What's the first thing I should do? How do I use it? And how does it start me to take the first steps into that self-awareness? Okay. I think 
what you're really looking for is to feel better right now. So the first section of the app is feel better now. And it's got a breathing exercise, a meditation, and so on. And just to help you calm down, calm your mind down. And then it says, okay, Richard, you're feeling better today. Would you like to feel better tomorrow and the week after and the month after? Then maybe you'd like to go deeper to understand yourself and the root cause of your own suffering. Would you like to be in charge of your own life? So your mind isn't just reactive all the time. You live with this deeper intelligence piece. Or that's the promise of this. And if you say, yes, I do want to do that, then... We've got, for example, a program called Pathway, which is a five-step program, which you have to invest in. You know. Of course, everything good comes from investing, right? You want to learn a language, you have to invest your time. And then it offers a path to go deeper. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, as long as you're interested in traveling. Um, and there's so many riches We've got awareness exercises, we've got this pathway program, uh, we've got lots of podcasts and events, there's an online journal. You know, change doesn't come from me telling you something. Change comes from you learning about yourself, you mm -hmm. looking and learning about yourself. Not as an idea, but actually saying, how is my conditioning shaping my life? How is it? contributing to the conflict in my relationships, for example. Or mm. why am I attached to my opinions? So when you ask yourself those questions, which is what the online journal does, then something starts shifting deep inside you and change follows naturally. I think, I mean, there are a couple of things that I just want to pick out of that for me. The first is, you know, I've, I've always believed in, in problem solving. And often on a professional basis, from my professional background in, in leadership and maybe yours in, in as a surgeon too, right? There are three stages for me about solving a problem or a challenge. The short term. So in, in this case with Happier Me, that's, listen, right now you've come to us because you just need to cool your jets and feel a little bit calmer, right? So breathe, let's go through some of that. The medium term, right, which is, okay, so how do we prevent maybe this particular situation from occurring again? Mm. And then the long term, which is, how do I ensure that moving forwards in a, in a wider orbit of my life and experience, I, I don't, ref, you know, go back to feeling that way? And I suppose that links to what I was talking about before with, so for example, COVID and seeing the sky and hearing the birds and smelling the air, right? And, and very rarely do we as human beings get beyond phase one. Yes. So, for example, in, in medical care, people will often go into hospital because, I don't know, sometimes suffering from breathing difficulties, heart problems, right? And often it's caused by their lifestyle choices, sometimes, right? It's caused by their lifestyle choices. So they get cured, but they don't change their lifestyle choice, which means they keep having to come back. I think what's really potent and powerful for me about Happier Me is this is a long-term relationship. Yeah. And that leads to the second. So it's about, it's about immediacy. It's about short, medium, long-term. But that leads to the second point you raised. And I think this is really powerful and important too. 
And this is about investment. It's about an investment in time, energy, and commitment. And I think it's the realization that in a society which is so often predicated in, I want immediate results or immediate gratification. One of the things that I think is so powerful about Happier Me is that this is a long-term relationship. And, and you know, what I would say to people is, yes, you can you can download Happier Me and give it a go and feel better for a few days, but unless you commit to engaging in a long-term relationship and unless you commit to engaging in truly deeply understanding yourself and, and understanding how you can con- control your behaviours and therefore the world around you, you know, this is not quick, it's not easy, and Happier Me doesn't promise to be those things. This is about changing your relationship with yourself and therefore with the world. Um, but but I, I want, I, I'd like your final thought on that. But for me, I guess what we're saying here is the honesty of Happier Me is don't think you're going to solve your problems and fix your world by downloading this and using it for a couple of days. No, you know, we are both passionate about education, Richard, because you your origins were in education as a head teacher and so on. And I'm passionate about education because I really feel that's the future of humanity. If we can bring this understanding to education. Now, everyone who's been to school and college and university has applied themselves to study maths and learn history and geography and whatever degrees they were doing. So it's not an unfamiliar concept applying yourself to get something that you find really valuable. So I think the first step for you to realize, for anyone, is this is completely life-changing. And in fact, the people I talk to say it's much more important than all the other stuff they've learned in education. Mm. And just like in education, where you apply yourself to something to get something that you really value, if you take that approach as an adult to what we're doing here, you'll find the same, you know, your life will be immeasurably richer, number one. But you know, my passion, and I'm sure yours is too, is if we can bring this self-knowledge to complement existing educational structures in the world, we could completely transform the future of humanity. I, I just want to pick up on one point you made there and and, and get your final view on this. And, and then what I'd like you to do is conclude by telling those who aren't familiar with Happier Me how they go about taking that first step. But before we do, one of the things that I passionately believe about education and I passionately believe about Happier Me is, again, the mistaken belief that somehow education is finite, that education finishes at 16 18 21 when you've done your degree your master's your doctorate you know you've got your apprenticeship you've got your qualifications or school exam results and i think increasingly what people have to understand is that education should only stop on the day you join the particles of the planet again right and 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 I wonder whether that's something that's really important to you and ha- and really important to the philosophy of happier me. Yes. You see, life's a journey of learning. Education's all about learning. But right now it's one dimension because we're only learning about the world around us, not about ourselves. 
And what education really needs to do is to generate in me and you a love for learning. See, Not knowledge, but a love for learning. Not only about the world around us. Hey, what's the name of that bird or that leaf or that tree? But also about myself. And I'll end with this. Just as Isaac Newton saw an apple fall from a tree in his mother's garden and asked why. And became one of the greatest scientists the world has ever known because he discovered gravity. You and I, ordinary human beings, which is what Isaac Newton was, can ask, why do I feel lonely? Why do I get, why do I live with fear? Why do I suffer? And it's those questions that can lead to revelations that can transform our lives. Now, if people want to uh, explore Happier Me further, it's really simple. Just go to any app store, download Happier Me, or go to the website happierme.app. Begin your journey of learning about yourself and see how your life transforms. And um, yeah, you bloom in life. Brilliant. Thank you so, so much, Manoj, not just for our conversation today, but your passion, your commitment, and your desire to help people create happier worlds for themselves and ultimately for all of us. Thank you so much. Richard, thank you so much. It's been a great, great conversation. Thank you. <laughs>